Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Naomi Cox. I am the creative director here at Covenant Fellowship Church in Bristol, Virginia. And I have with me our lead pastor, Michael Booker. And we wanted to take a moment today to just really dive in and learn a little bit more about Pastor Booker and um, how he really got to get to Covenant Fellowship and where we're going with him here so welcome to the podcast well first let me say thank you naomi for all that you do at covenant fellowship church and also thank you everyone for listening today i'm excited to go on a journey with you together and tell you a little bit about what the lord has done in my life and who i am and where i came from awesome well we're glad to have you so let's just start off from the very beginning where are you from tell us a little bit about your background well i'm from russell county virginia which is probably closer to Kentucky. Um, I grew up there. I started um, my childhood in the coal fields of Virginia. My dad was a coal miner, actually. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And we grew up in a little town called Daint. And you have to say it Daint because we would know that you're not from there if you said Dante (laughs) or Dant. So everyone called it, and that's probably our Appalachian uh, accent speaking there. But Anyway, I grew up there. Um, I was I was born in Russell County. I was born um, actually. I was born in Washington County. That's right. I was born. In, my my middle brother was born in Lebanon. My mom said that I was born in Abingdon Hospital. I was born in Washington County, but we lived in uh, we lived in Dane. Yep, as a coal miner's son. So my early childhood uh, was quite tumultuous. We I grew up in a family that um, didn't know God. We didn't go to church. My mom and dad never took me to church, not one time. Uh, I never heard the story of Jesus. I never heard about a Savior. Uh, We grew up very, very rough. Around us was uh, a lot of young guys who were just rough, very redneck, very tough, fighting constantly. Uh, Our home was not a peaceful home. My mom and dad, of course, not knowing the Lord and not having that guide in their life, it was very, very, um, very difficult. Um, There was a a lot of yelling, screaming, fighting, beating, all kinds of crazy things that would happen in our home. So, um, yeah, so outside of our home, because it was pretty pretty rough in our home you know we weren't the easiest guys to get along with we we're a lot in a lot of mischievous things um, I was very mischievous uh, um, I tell a couple stories about myself I don't know if you want me to go down those paths but <laughs> sure unfortunately these are very unfortunate things but uh, uh, you know growing in a growing up in a very godless atmosphere uh, you tried a lot of different things, and uh, this is a very shameful to say, but I had smoked a cigarette, drank a beer, and 
taking marijuana by my eighth birthday. Wow. Um, that's, that's very difficult to talk about and to say, but um, yeah, so it was very, very rough. I was in a fight nearly as almost every day as long as I can remember. Um, now, we had some fun times. I don't want to paint all bad pictures, but I just want to, sure. we would all be out playing a wiffle ball game or playing basketball or something with a lot of the neighborhood kids around. There was about 30 young men, most of them older than me, but 30 boys that played together. We would have great wiffle ball games and football games, but ultimately someone was going to get hurt and it would be a brawl. It'd be a lot of fightings. Um, I remember one fight that I got into that um, a young man stabbed me. Um, wow. Yeah, I didn't know I was stabbed at first. I did feel a pain in my arm, but it didn't dawn on me that I just had gotten stabbed. I saw a knife in his hand, but I did not think that he hit wow. me uh, with that knife. I, I felt like he missed me as I jumped back, uh, but I did feel a hit on my arm, but you know, adrenaline flying sure. and that sort of thing. and and. And, and eventually, I don't know what happened to the knife, eventually I do get him down on the ground and, and um, I, you know, unfortunately the, for him, the fight was going my way, but I'm seeing this incredible amount of blood and I have no idea where it's coming from. And uh, I, I, I'm holding on to a fence while he's at the base of the fence curled up in a ball because I'm kicking this young man. and. Uh, uh, it, it was terrible, but I see this blood everywhere, and, and I get a glimpse of his face, and I can tell, well, all that blood's not coming from his face. Uh, and and if, when my arm's holding onto the fence, I eventually, out of my peripheral vision, see a lot of blood on my arm, and then look over at it, and then this blood is just gushing out of my arm. And... Um, anyway, to make a long story short, I wind up having to go get my arm stitched up, and and uh, but it it was a it was a rough childhood. How and, old were you? Uh, I was probably about 12, 13 years old at that wow. time. I know I wasn't 14 and the reason I know that I wasn't 14 is um uh, growing up in a very rough home my, that kind of came to an end. My mom left my dad and us boys on my 14th birthday. I I just don't, she didn't think that it was my birthday. I think there was just so much turmoil sure. that she just, I'm, I'm leaving here. Uh, and she left on the day of my birthday. And uh, I was with, I was with some um, family members at the time, uh, staying with them actually. I was staying with them during school. We lived 27 miles from our high school. We only had one vehicle. Wow. My, yes. So my dad worked second shift as a coal miner, so I didn't have a way back and forth if I didn't ride the bus. And I wanted to play football. Football was my sport. And I had a cousin that lived close to the high school, and she was in band. So she would have band practice at the same time football practice was going on. So I got a chance to stay with them during uh, the football season and get to play football. And so it was, I'm, you know, my birthday's in September, so we're playing football. And I remember, I think it was on a Thursday, I get a call and my aunt said, hey, Mike, your mom's on the phone. And I'm thinking, well, she's called to wish me a happy birthday. How thoughtful. And I answered the phone and she said, hey, just want to let you know I left your dad today and I won't be back. And um, yeah, so that was a very, Man. very difficult very difficult time. I went home that weekend and 
stayed with my dad and my two brothers. I, I have two, two brothers younger than me. I'm the oldest mm -hmm. of the three. And so of us three, uh, I do have a stepsister now. But anyway, we, we, we stayed, or I stayed that uh, weekend and uh, saw my dad cry for the first time. It was, a, it was a difficult, difficult time. But everything shifted for us at that point. Wow. It's incredible for me sitting here now, knowing you now, to obviously see the hand of God in your life. From, you know, you didn't grow up churched. Mm -mm. You didn't grow up Jesus insulated, as some people mm -mm. say, to now here we are all these years later. And, and you haven't just had a salvation experience, but you're the lead pastor at a church. So how did salvation occur from, from that point in your life? Like what got you out of that situation before the face of God? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question too. So to kind of follow up with that, basically... Um, when my mom left, um, she wound up she wound up uh, marrying a guy that was in the military. She got remarried, and moved to Hawaii. Uh, wow. I I stayed in in Dant for a while for almost a year, but um, what began to happen? My dad lost his job. He was a coal miner. Lost his job, and he had three boys to take care of. I remember before he lost his job, my because he worked second shift, my aunt was coming down trying to help take care of us, and and we were disrespectful. We were terrorists, really. I mean, as kids, <laughs> we really were. We, you know, all of the arguing and bitterness and fighting and and all the brokenness left us as very unruly, sure. very, very. We we didn't have much respect for property or stuff or things and. And I remember one time she had done up all of our laundry, but by the time she got back with the laundry, which was just up the hill from us, she wasn't too far from us, my dad's sister, um, she walks in and we had trashed the place after she'd cleaned it all day and she just threw the laundry on the floor, just oh, like, no. I'm done with this. We were just terrorists. It was terrible. But part of me began to think, okay, you know, I am 14 years old. Um, I, I'm going to have to shift the way that I think, and I don't want to be a coal miner. All these coal mines are closing down. I am leaving here if I can. So um, I'd come and stayed in Bristol with my grandmother and grandfather who lived here in Bristol, Virginia. And I came and stayed with them through the summer, and, and it was time to go back to school. Um, and... And so I, I actually graduated when I was 17. Um, the way, part of the way my birthday fell and a couple other things, um, I, I, I'm 15 years old. I am, I am about to go into my junior year and the way things all shifted out. Um, so anyway, I go, uh, I stayed with my grandparents and they had asked about me coming to Bristol. Now, my grandfather, uh, he, was, uh, he was a church-going guy. Um, he was a very different church-going guy, very, very hypocritical in his approach and very religious in some, in some ways. But nonetheless, if you went to his house or you stayed at his house, pretty much you was going to church. So I went to church with him, and I heard the story of Jesus 
Now, by the time I was 15, I'd heard from some of my friends, you know, I've heard hear them talk about Jesus. And my cousin that I stayed with for a while, she went to an Episcopal church. And so I went to a couple of times with them. And it was very, I mean, looking at church now, that was the most different thing I'd ever, it was responsive reading. I never heard a preacher preach. It was responsive reading. He would read something and then you had to read out of this little pamphlet and it lasted about 15 minutes. You went downstairs and had amazing breakfast, but I, there was never... Are you born again? No, nothing about hell that I remember. Nothing about heaven. And I heard the name of Jesus mentioned, but I couldn't make sense of what, what the, the responsive reading was and how they did the Apostles' Creed and different things. I just didn't understand that stuff. Um, but nonetheless, so back I'm here in Bristol. And my grandfather uh, wants me to go to church with him, obviously, and staying here. And I go, and man, I'm blown away. I mean, I'm hearing this preacher just blow his lungs out, you know, just, <laughs> but at the same time, it was captivating to me. Sure. It was captivating. I seen the power of God touch people's lives. I see, I see sick people being healed. I, I mean, I am like, whoa. I wasn't one of those kids when I first came to church to sit on the back row. I was on the front row thinking, what is this? This is this is crazy and and I'm feeling like like I feel chills from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. My heart is beating out of my chest. I'm like, what is going on with me in in this environment? And my you know, some of my family members are like, You okay? Well, I'm not sure if I'm okay or not, but this <laughs> is what's going on. And so they're like, um, I, that's probably you're experiencing the presence of the Lord. I said, I'm I'm experiencing something. I just don't know what this is. And uh, the preacher starts, you know, talking about, are you ready for heaven? Are you going to, when you die, where will your eternal soul be? And he began to explain that. My heart just starts beating so fast. I mean, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I didn't know all this stuff that I was doing was wrong and bad and and hell and all this heaven. And, man, I, I, need, I, need, to, I need to talk to this Jesus dude. So I did go to the altar when I was 15 years old. So when I went back uh, and it was time to start school, I asked my dad, can I come and live with my grandparents? I'd already talked it over with them, and they were like, yes. And so um, my, my, my dad eventually agreed. At first he didn't want to. I felt like he maybe wanted or needed a little help with my two brothers. And looking back, should I have stayed there? I don't know. But um, but I moved. He he eventually consented, and I moved in with my grandparents. And I went I went to church pretty steady for about um, about nine months. Um, and by that time, my mother moved back from Hawaii because my now stepdad he had gotten uh, uh, he had gotten uh, transferred from. Uh, the Navy base in Hawaii to Norfolk and so she was able to come home and um, and when she came back home um, I moved in with her it was time to leave my my grandfather's we just could not get along uh, not from a sense of I didn't want God anymore type thing it was like I say any of my family members could tell you my grandfather was a very hypocritical individual one way at church and different way at home, and it extremely confused me. Sure. 
and led to a lot of frustration with me to the point that I knew that if I didn't get out of the house, this was not going to go well. Um, so anyway, I wound up moving out uh, and, and stayed with my mom for a little while. Um, and then she uh, eventually moved to Norfolk and I kept the apartment, stayed by myself. Uh, and did the whole bachelor thing. But during that time, I did backslide on God. I stopped going to church. Uh, by the time I was 16, I'd already stopped going to church and never went back again until I was 23 years old. Wow. Yeah, so at 23 years old, uh, by then I got married at 20. I met my, my wife by that time. I got married at 20. And uh, we had a little girl. Uh, she was born... Um, she was born in 95. We were married in 93. She was born in 95. Um, and she was, uh, I don't know, I, by that time, you know, in a backslidden condition, I think I was worse than I was before I knew the Lord. Mm -hmm. I was very angry, very bitter, uh, very messed up uh, mentally. Uh, I, what I mean by messed up mentally was things that uh, uh, that I saw almost as normal, typically what happens in families. Uh, I found myself involved in some of those things. Now I never beat my wife. I never I never done any of those things. But but I was very I, I put it this way. I was not ready to settle down. But but uh, but I was married. Um, but it was, um, I don't know, my mom, she eventually got saved. She got saved sometime during the time that I had moved out. My middle brother had gotten cancer. And uh, my mom done something that I, I wouldn't recommend people do. She went to a tent revival. And she went to an altar and said, Lord... If you'll heal my son, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Well, God healed my middle brother. Wow. Yeah, so uh, he's, you know, he's 48 years old now and cancer-free. And, you know, this was the time he was, I don't know, probably 17, 18 years old. I don't know, somewhere along in that age, age frame. Uh, so he gets healed and, uh, and... So my mom started going to a prayer meeting, and in that prayer meeting, I later learned that she had been putting my name on a prayer list, mine and my wife's name, on a prayer list that they prayed over every Friday night. They literally laid hands on and prayed over every Friday night. I discovered that because at 23, I had already made a mess of my marriage. Uh, my wife and I were ready for divorce. I felt like that this brand new little baby girl to deserved a better daddy than I had been if I'm not I'm, I'm gonna repeat the patterns of my family and I need to just get out of her life I thought about leaving my wife uh, just just leaving and and a part of me I don't know what it was about me but I just couldn't do that I thought well maybe maybe if I maybe if I kill myself then I'll be gone and they don't have to know all that I've done um, but I don't know, something about the night that I was going to do it when my wife was asleep, my baby was asleep in, in the bassinet, I heard these words so loudly like 
thundering in my thought process. I, I was set up on the edge of the bed. They were asleep. A little bassinet was sitting beside my wife on her side of the bed. I heard, I, I, was, I was in my mind thinking, if I go in this set of woods, I know where this very deep sinkhole is. If I stand on the rim of that and shoot myself, I could go to the bottom of that. It'd be a long while before they find me. Maybe, you know, just my head just really spinning. I hear these words so loudly thundering inside of me. The only real peace you ever had was when you walked with me. Wow. Well, I knew that to be the Lord. Really, I knew that to be the Lord, but I wouldn't, I didn't turn to Him. I just kind of, it, it got me through the night. It got me through the night that I didn't do that. I, I, I laid back down and went to sleep. A couple days later, I came down with a cold. I wasn't feeling well. And um, I was home, and my mother had called me. And I asked her, I said, Mom, would you mind to stop by the uh, drugstore and bring me something for a cold? I'm, I really don't feel well. So she, she brought me something, and while there, she said, Look, I really would like it if you'd go to church with me. Well, having heard a couple of nights ago, the only peace you had in me, me dealing with just a low, low place in my life, feeling so shamed and scorned, feeling terrible, um, I, I said, I'll go. So my wife was working second shift at the time. Uh, my wife's grandmother was staying with us to take care of our child. She just wanted to do that. She, was, she lived by herself, but she would stay with us Monday through Friday. She was taking care of our, our daughter, her helping me to do so. And, um, and so on that Wednesday night, I said, hey, I'm going to go to church with my mom. So I went. And uh, when I went on that Wednesday night, uh, wow, I'm telling you, heaven came down. I don't know what the pastor preached. I just went to the altar and I poured my heart out to God. When I, when I got home, um, my wife, she had, she, a little bit later on, she come home, cause she, her second shift job. She came home and, um, and I, don't, I don't remember if Granny had gone to bed. I don't remember the whole deal about that. What I know is my wife and I by ourselves. Maybe that week she had taken Taylor to her house. I don't know. Sometimes she would take her to her house and keep her and bring her back part of the time because she'd have to go home and take care of some stuff. All I remember was just Charmin and me there. And I said to my wife, I said, listen, I gave my heart to the Lord tonight. And I just need you to know I need to tell you all that I have been doing and what I've done. I shared it all with her. She wept. She cried. It was so devastating in so many ways. Um, but she didn't leave. I felt like she might leave that night. She didn't leave. Sunday came. She went to church with me. She gave her life to the Lord. And that started our path. In 1996, so January the 17th, 1996, I give my life back to the Lord and I have not looked back. And then that following Sunday, my wife gave her life to the Lord and not looked back. So that's kind of been, that's, so that's how we got that's to. That's an incredible story. That's how we got to salvation. Another quick interesting story, during, so when I went to stay with my grandfather and this church was just like, you know, spirit-filled church, love the Lord, all that sort of thing, you know, um, during that nine months, I, I was in the shower. Again, and I know God speaks to people, I've learned to hear His voice, but at the time, 
I didn't know how to hear from God. All I know is my heart was pounding out of my chest that night and I got I went to right. the altar and asked the Lord forgive me. I hate to be backing up a little bit, but no, but I know we're going to talk about my calling and this ties into it. So I'm in the shower sometime during that nine months that I served the Lord. I was taking a shower and the back of the shower literally became like I was looking at a television screen. It was the wildest thing I've <laughs> ever seen in my life. Freaked me out. I bet. <laughs> I, I'm looking at a television screen as though... I'm looking through like eyes, like if you were to take a TV, like you're looking, like when a TV, a movie is trying to show you looking through the eyes of the person that's walking down the street and the eyes blinking. It was like I was looking through that and what I was looking at was people sitting in pews, listening to me. Your husband's grandfather was one of the people that I respected highly and I saw him sitting there. And I look over and I see other people who I recognized, at least in that little time frame that I was going to church, as leaders, important people in in Jesus, so to speak, to me. And I see them sitting there, and I can tell I'm on the stage, but I can't tell if I'm singing. I can't tell what I'm doing. They're looking at me. It was as if all of a sudden I came outside of my own body. No lie. Like I came outside of my own body. I joined them on the pews and I look back to the pulpit on the stage and it's me preaching and I'm freaked to the max. I'm telling you, I'm weeping. I don't know what any of this means. So I get out of the shower and I, I, I go tell my grandfather, I'm like, I, I got to tell you what just happened to me. So uh, he said, sounds to me like God's got a work for you to do. And I'm like, you don't know nothing. No way. <laughs> So I, so I go to praying about that. And so I'm praying about it. And we're at a church service not too long after that, maybe a month after that. And the preacher, he's preaching. And uh, he just stops in the middle of his message. Like when he, he walked over in front of me, because again, I'm sitting on the front pew. He stops right in the middle of his message. He says, hey, this is a confirmation for you. God's calling you into ministry. Now here's what my thought was. My grandfather got him aside and told him. So, no, I ain't buying this. You know, it's all made up type stuff. So, uh, within that, again, that little short frame period of time, our family is doing some singing. They called it the Hamilton family. I'm not a Hamilton, but my mom's side of the family is Hamilton, so I guess I am half Hamilton. And, and they're singing, and I'm playing guitar, and I'm singing some with them. We're singing gospel songs, you know, kind of thing, getting invited a lot of different places. We, we actually went quite a few places, to be honest with you. But we, we were invited to sing at a church in Johnson City, Tennessee. The, the speaker was from California. I remember hearing he was an evangelist from California. And I'm thinking, okay, God, this dude don't know me. He has no idea who we are as a family. And um, if you really called me to to, to, to the ministry, here's your opportunity. We go through the whole service, nothing. He has an altar call. I go through to get prayed for a couple times. Like, yeah, that was my grandfather telling, telling the preacher. So we pack all of our stuff up and we're getting ready to leave. And this evangelist wife walks over to him and she said, I'd be disobedient to the Lord if I let you leave here without telling you what the Lord just put in my heart. And it, it is this. 
He says, this is your confirmation. You are called into ministry. Ah, oh. so yes. Uh, so, so now, so now let's, I, again, I backslide. I do walk sure. away from God. Yeah. So after I'm, I'm 23 now, okay, I'm 23. I've made a fresh commitment back to God. My wife and I are starting this journey. It's January, remember, January 96. Yeah. So my pastor wants us to go out to eat with him. And we're going out to eat with him. I think he's going out to eat. Maybe that was one of the times the car broke down. I don't remember. I just remember sitting in the car with him in the back seat. And I said to him, uh, hey, listen, um, th thank you for, for all that you're doing. And I just need you to know this. Uh, when I was 15, I got called in, called in the ministry to preach. I don't know how to start doing that. I don't know anything about that. I just need you to know. He starts crying. I'm like, well, what's so wrong with this? He barely knows me. Right. Like, why is he crying? That don't make sense. I'm like, uh, you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm like, well, can I do anything? He said, no. He said, the Lord had just spoke to me a few days ago and told me he's sending me somebody to help me in the ministry. I didn't know it was going to be somebody who was just brand new saved that would be a preacher. He just told me that a minister was coming to help me. So he's bawling. And I'm like, so I don't know what to do. I, you know, I'm like... <laughs> I don't know how to console him. I don't know what to do. Um, so anyway, that moment gets over with. And, um, and so, uh, so Easter come, came that year in April. So he, he told me, he said, I want you to just start reading the Bible. Here's what you need to do. You just need to read the Bible and just get in the Bible. So I start getting in the Bible. Don't understand it. Can't read well at the time. Literally, you know, growing up rough, I didn't care about education. I didn't care about a lot of things. So I struggled with reading comprehension. I struggled with stuff. And um, because that's a, to me, that's a part of the, the amazing story of God in, in my life anyway. It just, it just couldn't comprehend well. And so I'm trying, I'm struggling. He says, listen, what you need to understand, the Holy Spirit will help you. And I come to understand that better. But nonetheless, I'm reading the Bible. Well, Easter time comes around. But uh, say a week before Easter, the pastor says, Hey, I want you to go with me. I'm like, Okay, where are we going? He said, I want to buy you some clothes. I'm like, What do you mean buy me some clothes? What's wrong with the clothes that I got on? To me, there was nothing wrong with the clothes that I had on. The problem was, was that he believed that if you're going to preach, you need to be in a suit and tie. That was his conviction. Sure. He bought me a suit, tie, shoes, socks, wow. belt, suspenders. <laughs> I'm talking the whole nine yards. I'm talking about I was looking slick in my new suit. <laughs> and it was Easter Sunday, so I'm going to have an Easter Sunday suit. Now, it's kind of weird because I wasn't a suit-wearing guy and put that around my neck and learn how to tie a tie. I didn't even know how to tie a tie. He had to teach me how to tie a tie. <laughs> my pastor taught me how to tie a tie. So he taught me how to tie a tie. It, it, was, it was bizarre. So um, anyway, so as I told you, I'd already during 16, I'd learned to play. Well, I knew how to play. My dad taught me at a young age how to play guitar. So pretty soon in the church, I'm playing guitar. Well, that particular morning on Easter Sunday, he said, after the worship's over, I want you to stay up on the stage. I'm like, okay, what's he doing here? So I put my guitar down, and there's this little, small, little, teeny, tiny pew. There was two of them on the stage, and I sat down in one of those things. And I'm staying up on the stage. I'm, I have no idea what he's doing. 
So he gets up, he welcomes everybody and after worship and all that stuff, and he says, uh, see, I want you to open your Bibles, and he goes to Luke 2, and he reads, he reads uh, the resurrection story. He walks back with that microphone, and he says, hands it to me, and says, now preach on that. No. I'm like, <laughs> I preached everything that I knew about sure. God in 10 minutes through tears, didn't, scared to death. I, you know, after that was over with, I'm like, what? in the world did you just do to me? But he told me, he said, he said, I felt like if that I didn't do it that way and gave you time enough to prepare, you might run again. And now you've got your first one under your belt. Now keep going. Wow. And that started my preaching ministry. I was saved in January, was preaching in April. Wow. So January I was saved, February baptized in the Spirit, and April I am preaching. And that started my ministry. From then on, it was just like, I've got to learn. I've got to grow. Sure. I've I've got to. I've just got to somehow expand my understanding of 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 the Bible, of what it means to be in ministry. Just didn't have a clue. Just didn't have a clue. But that started started my journey. That's crazy. So it seems like from a very young age, you said when you were fourteen, you had this understanding that you you somehow knew that you needed to change your way of thinking that you knew you needed to get out of that coal mining area if you could have. And then as older, you knew that you had to learn more. So it sounds like you've always had this maybe natural gift to kind of push yourself. Yeah, I would say that because like, to, to be honest with you, like I go back to when I was a little boy. Um, a lot of the houses and stuff around us were in disarray, mm -hmm. but in some ways those things bothered me. So like behind the house was just weeds that grew up on a mountainside that had all kinds of just trash in it that people threw in there. Uh, that bothered me. So, you know, without my dad asking me to, without my mom asking me to, I just cleared that whole hillside off and cleaned it up and sowed it in grass to make it look better. I didn't like that it made us look trashy, you know, maybe <laughs> and anyway, um, but but yes, that thought process even there was like, I got to get out of it. I won't have a future here. Coal mines is all there is here. They're shutting down. Uh, and, and, and I just, if you didn't coal mine in Dank, Virginia, there was nothing left for you. Sure. If you the railroad was supported by the coal mines, so you, you had another option. You could be a you could you know you could go to work on the railroad, but if they didn't have coal to haul, there there was no railroad job. So, you know, I just there was nothing there. So, I knew that if I was going to ever have a future that I could depend on, I was going to have to do something different. Right. Never in a million years would I ever thought of going into pastoring or ministry. No way. But. Right. You know, I just knew I had to get out of there. So. Never in a million years did you think you'd be in a shower watching yourself on TV? No, no. That's you know, I can count on my, I could count on one hand how many times that's ever happened to me in my life. I've ever had a couple of other yeah. instances where things have happened, but that one's so profound because that was, you know, some people want ask me today as their pastor, how do I know I'm called into ministry? Sure. Because I tell them my story, and they're just like, well, I've never had that kind of experience. Maybe you're more called than I'm called. I would say, no, I'm not more called than you're called. It's just you got, a, you got a better understanding of how to hear the voice of God. I had no clue. He had to talk to me in the only way that he knew that he would get my attention. 
you, he could speak to you in this still small voice because you're familiar with his voice. And if you've heard that still small voice that says, go preach the gospel, that's just as powerful as watching. Although mine sounds dramatic, you know, that's how you get a hold of a hard head that didn't know, didn't know anything about God. So do you think there, there's scripture, I was just looking at it, 1 Corinthians 3, 2, that, that talks to you about, you know, milk versus meat. Uh, I fed you with milk, not with meat, for you were not able to bear it yet. Um, do you think that that kind of mindset instilled in you, obviously from God as your nature, helped you in your Christian walk to move from being that baby Christian to, to being where you're at now? I, I do, you know, I obviously... Having that frame of reference to go back to that you're called to preach and me yeah. looking at my life who was scared to give a oral book report in school, afraid of people looking at me, making fun of me, sure. very poor self-image, cannot read, could or at the time could not read well, uh, terrible with reading comprehension, dealing with all kinds of, of just self-degradational issues. Uh, to take upon this type of responsibility was extremely scary. But being able to re refer back to that, that, that encounter in the shower with the Lord helped me to know that I'm going to have to utilize what I have utilized before, which is you're going to have to dig in mm -hmm. and you're going to have to push through and you're going to have to get it done. So, so you know one of the first things that I'd done is I went back to school and got my GED. Awesome. Now, here's the deal. I walked my senior year across the stage because I went on through school. It, when I applied myself, I could do well. I really could. But I didn't apply my... I, I missed 44 days my senior year, okay? Wow. I mean, it's hard to pass school if you're not there, you know? Sure. Um, so, so I went back, got a GED. I set myself to read constantly. Just read. I mean, just to push through, just to understand. And because reading comprehension was hard for me, it made me slow down and get the concept because I understood reading more when I understood the concept. So it made me research. It made me have to look up meanings of words. It made me, and then I discovered something in looking up meaning of words when it came to the Bible. I recognized that people in the Bible didn't just need to name people cool names or hard to pronounce names, that those names meant something. It meant something about their family, meant something about their destiny, meant something about their ministry, meant something about their prophecy, meant something about their life. It meant something about an issue that happened with inside of their family. So I discover that, whoa, names mean something. So that was interesting to me. Yeah. So I, I just start studying all these words and how to pronounce them, how to, how to, what their names meant, you know, how, how that tied into the story of what was going on in the Bible. Uh, it just sent me to want to know what these things were. And all of a sudden, this very nerdy guy began to <laughs> explode out of me because I hadn't heard these concepts. I didn't know church language. I didn't know sanctification. Right, right. I didn't know... Um, Dest predestinations. I didn't know what people meant when they called things reformed theology or you know free will theology. I didn't. I didn't understand any of these things that I would hear from time to time. And not wanting to sound dumb, I went to 
I just wanted to research it out. So I would go look and I would research and I would research and I would read. I would read Strong's Concordances. I read Bible dictionaries. I would, you know, as the internet started becoming available, I mean, I'm like researching what does this person believe about this and what does this person believe about that. I am so far behind the eight ball because all these other guys that I know went to seminary and Bible colleges and I'm like, I've already got a family. I can't just unplug and go to college to try to learn Bible terminology. I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to resource. So I did find some people that would pour into me. I, I, uh, I got involved in the uh, credentialing program in the Church of God, which does a pretty, pretty basic but good job of trying to resource you theologically uh, in, 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 in basic stuff. But because I became nerdy, I will sit and listen to podcasts that other people would rather watch paint dry than listen to, but it so interests me. It interests me. I get so interested in someone debating, like like I like to listen to the reformists debate the, the, the non-reformist camps. I like to hear the cessationists debate the, the continuists. And all of those are, you know, biblical, or not biblical, but theological terminologies of why people believe the, what they believe. So, all of that stuff interested me, and as a result of it being an in- interest to me, I recognized that God had me on a path of, uh, to take me from a milk-to-meat type guy, but it was motivated by just me trying to understand more about God and how do I do ministry and how do I do this in a way that touches people's lives. If I how can I talk about a product if I don't know it well? Right. How could I convince you that a dish that I just made is the greatest dish ever if I've never tasted of it? <laughs> and I, that same thing with the Lord for me. Like, I, I would even pray those prayers. God, how can I tell people how good you are if I don't even know it myself? If I can't experience you, if I don't understand it in the Word, if, I don't, if it don't make sense to me, I, I can't tell that story and be uncertain. You've got to convince my heart of this. So I would say that's what took me on the, on, the, on the journey more than anything else. And it just, like I say, it became an interest. And it became an interest as well is because, you know, not hearing all this churchy te- terminology and not knowing how it played out in other people's lives per se, it, it, it left nothing really for me to presume. I wanted to go into it. I wanted to experience it. I wanted to really dive into it. And I think, I think just a genuine love for the Lord. I wanted to know how, the, how to love the Lord better. Even when I took this church, you know what I told the people? Listen, I don't know how to do church. I didn't come from a line of pastors. I don't know how to organize a church. I don't know how to run a church, but I know how to love God. I've discovered how to love God. I've discovered how He comes near. And if you'll, if you'll be gracious to me, and, 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 and when I make mistakes of organizing church, if you'll just know that I have a pure heart of wanting, wanting to serve God, we'll, we'll figure this thing out. And obviously, it's, you know, the, the results yeah. is, is all in the hands of the Lord, but that was, that was the journey. You know what I love most about all that is I like to say that God is very much an underdog type of God and that he uses the underdog. And we see that biblically. You know? Sure. Moses went to be this mm-hmm. great leader and mm-hmm. he's like, I can't even talk like mm-hmm. you. Know? Yeah. Um, but so in your case, you know, you're someone who identified as, as somebody who 
had a very low comprehension level. Mm -hmm. Someone that, you know, didn't have maybe educational standards that other people hold higher, right? But because you were willing, God was able to use you. And, and my point being this, God can call all the underdogs in the world that he wants, but it's also our responsibility to be good stewards of what he has given us, what he has called us. And I think that your story exemplifies that. You know, Naomi. It just happened. Yeah, I, th I think a couple of things. My pastor being my cheerleader, really he was. Yeah. He would, he would behind me, man, keep going, keep going. He would correct me. You say a lot of double negatives when you talk. Sure. You, ne you need to get away from that. You don't need to sound like such a hick. He would say things like that to me. You need to expand your mind. The right. greatest investment you'll ever make is your life, is your mind. And he would just cheer me on. And, and, and for a guy that would just, when my teachers would say stuff like that, all of my buddies, you know, trying to pull me into a different direction. I didn't have all them buddies pulling me in a different direction now. And I kept right. hearing this. And, and, I, and, and I, think, I think, you know, I look back at that and I think to myself, Man, the Holy Spirit knows what He's doing. I remember praying, God, if you want me to learn, you're going to have to expand my mind. I remember praying this. This is one of the prayers I prayed. God, you're going to have to cause me to love the Bible and love reading. Because right now, neither one of them <laughs> I have. Yeah. I don't love the Bible because it, I don't know how, I, I don't even know this language hardly. These, those, those. I don't, I don't even understand this. Sure. And, and that's, that doesn't make me want to read it. And, and secondly, Lord, you're going to have to teach me how to love reading because, quite honestly, I'd rather be doing something else. I'd rather be fishing. <laughs> I'd rather be hunting. I'd rather be doing something else other than this. You know what I noticed? The Lord put a genuine, honest love for it That's amazing. in my heart. A genuine, honest love. Some people love to read, stick me in the eye with a needle <laughs> kind of guy. I can't believe that I like reading now. I, or awesome. love it. I, I just It's hard for me to comprehend the differences yeah. between a young man who hated it. Hated it because it was a challenge to me. Hated it because there was always something more exciting to do. Even fighting. Come on, let's beat the tar out of one another. <laughs> just don't make me read. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but what a great testimony. Right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you prayed for this. You recognized, hey man, you know. Like, this is not a forte of mine. I need you to step in. And he did. And you ran with it. Yeah. That's a great testimony. So you're here at Covenant now. You've been here how many years? Uh, this is, this, I'm working on my 20th year here. 20th I, year. I came here in, uh, in October 2002. October 2002. So I've been here about a year. And last summer, um, you came to the staff and you're like, you know, hey, I've never done this before. But I'm, I'm going to take a sabbatical. You know, I've gotten the approval. I'm going to spend time in the face of the Lord, seeking His will. At least that's what I remember, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And then you came back, and I think it was July 4th weekend. And here's my takeaway. It's been like an ex insane, accelerated express ride since then. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like God had like... You really had this like Moses moment, mm -hmm. and I don't know what happened, but I feel like there's a huge ripple effect going throughout the church. So talk to us a little bit about what happened. So first off, 
Uh, one of our board members, and, and he's also uh, one of our associates, uh, staff members here on, on staff, brought me a book by Pastor Robert Morris called Take a Day Off. And um, again, my dad was such a working guy, and, and I grew up with the mindset that your man card is your work ethic. So to take a time off, and especially extended time, was like, what? <laughs> no way, there's still too much to do. So I read that book, and I genuinely got convicted. I got convicted. You know what, you know what made, convicted me? I think at some point along the way, my work ethic got in the way of letting God take the reins. Mm. No, like, don't tell anybody this, but I think all ministers deal with some sense of control and deal with some sure. sense of insecurities. Sure. I w if, if you were to ask me before then, I would have convinced you that I did not have those. <laughs> um, but... I'm not thinking I had insecurity so much as um, the fact that, um, you know, you learn how to do stuff and and to just let God do in others what He done in me and just let them run with their gifts and talents. Not that I didn't do that before, but in a sense that if I was there, at least if it broke, I could I could put it back together quickly. Sure. To step away for a whole month was like, oh, that's, that's just ludicrous. But I got genuinely convicted. And I said, okay, Lord, if, if, if the folks will approve that, the board will approve that, I, I'll, I'll do that. My wife was, she's ready to shout, you know, <laughs> just, just because of the way our life runs. You right. know what I'm saying? As a right. minister, it's, it's 24-7, 365. You yeah. don't get a day off. It's a day put on the calendar, but really it doesn't leave your mind. No. It doesn't leave your thought process. It, it's, it's like you, you know somebody that's in the hospital. You know somebody's going through something. You know, so that's, that consumes your thought. It, it, it consumes a lot about what, what you're doing. So in essence, there's not not the day off, but when you can kind of take a day off and then unplug to the best of your abilities, it's always great. But in this sabbatical, I was able to unplug at a level that I never had before. And the purpose of it was just really turn toward my wife and turn as much toward God as I possibly could. Um, I, I, wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have told you that I was at a level of burnout because I don't think that I was. Sure. Um, I, I wouldn't have told you that I'm at a level of frustration. Yeah, COVID's hard on everybody. But, you know, for the way I process that is everybody else has had it hard too. So what makes right. me have a right to say, oh, I'm going to just unplug for a month. Right. Who else gets to do that? You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, it was so convicting and, and troublesome for me in so many ways. Like, how could I take a month off and somebody's still got to run their business for a month? How could I take a month off and somebody else has still got to go into their nine to five job every day? How can, how can I take a month off and doctors still got to show up at the doctor's office every day? You know, so, so man, I just did not want to do this. But I, again, spiritually, I was very convicted of it. So I took that, I took that time off and turned really into the Lord for clarity, personally for myself, for clarity for this ministry, for clarity of God, this ministry is different now. I've got to have vision for now. I've got to have direction for now. I've got to have understanding for now. And I feel like the Lord gave me all of those things. I came back with a clear, clear definition of our mission, vision, and values that I've, I've spoke about, preached about, 
proclaimed about and still to this day and, and, and doing, you know, these months later, uh, mission, vision, and values, clarifying, kind of becoming more laser focused on the direction that the Lord has given us. And I feel like the Holy Spirit breathed such freshness in, into, into my sails that it feels like. Not that I'm still running off of that. It was just a momentum that got the, the ship moving really quickly sure. that, that through multiple vit, avenues and ways the Lord's still doing it. it. We're in this 100 days of glory now and I feel like that it's just, we're just picking up speed. I'm going to just be yeah. honest with you. It just yeah. feels like it's picking up yeah, speed. But um, it, it was powerful. And if there's any minister that hears this, I would pray about it. Yeah, I really, really pray about doing it. Not not because you just want it. Like again, anytime the Lord has had me doing something, it was at the moment that I wanted it the least. And I, again, I mentally set, telling myself, how can I take a day, uh, take this time off, and these guys still work like this? I mean, who do I think that I am? I don't have any special privileges. I work just like they work. I need to be here. I need to show up. I need to get it done just like everybody else does. They can, if, Man, if they unplug for a month, it's going to disrupt. Their family's going to disrupt their things. But I had to get into my heart the work of the Spirit that says, but yes, my day off is going to accelerate. My day off, is, I, this is not going to be a day off from the sense of the way you think it is. Yes, you won't be there today, try, every day trying to counsel somebody, push a pencil for something, write a message, that sort of thing. But you're, you're going to be in my face in a, in a way that I'm going to accelerate in your life. And, and wow, what a difference it's made for me in so many ways. Well, I think on our end, um, speaking as like people of the church, it was never even a, a question of like, should this or should this not happen? Um, because I feel like we, we knew your intent. And I feel like, you know, you, you can say that it's really hard to take a day off, you know, and your family is affected by that. Um, just being in, in the nature of being a pastor. Mm-hmm. I mean, my husband's an evangelist and I still see that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, we don't have a, a flock necessarily like, like you do, but I do see. So, so for me, looking at what you did, it was a great moment for you to not only be able to set aside time for, for family, but to set aside time for you and the Lord because you're consumed every week with, um, you know, planning sermons, logistics of the church, you know, meetings here, sick people there, you know, all that. So it w- there was never any question of, yeah, man, this is, what is happening here? It was a go for it. Like, go seek the face of God. Like, come back and tell us what you said. Yeah, and, and, and it, it's been powerful. Us has yeah. been powerful. One of the one of the books that I read several books during that time, but one of them that that just I, I will read this book probably once a year from now on, just to remind myself. It was a book by Jim Ray that called Dream Killers, mm-hmm. and it was it it just caused me to revisit those things that when I say dream killers, you think of something that comes in so so strongly that it just takes out the wind and destroys you. But you know, the enemy's so subtle. Usually he doesn't work like that. Can he work like that? Yes. But usually it's so subtle that that whole, I'm going to win my city to Jesus begins to relocate. Well, there's some people that don't want Jesus, so maybe I can just take it down to half of the city. Well, there's half the city that really doesn't want Jesus. Maybe I can just take it down to a street or two. And, and, that book caused me to realize, again, just fresh and new, you know it, but it's just that, that freshness of the Spirit 
that motivates you back to the fact that God didn't call you to start taking the foot off the pedal and minimizing by, by experience or evaluation that He has a less dream for you than that. Though it wait just consistently, though it tarry, wait on it because it will come to pass. Right. You know what I mean? So uh, there, there's just that freshness of, and I hear it with our people. It's like, man, we're on the brink of something epic that God is about yeah. to do, yeah. and none of us can lay our finger on it. It's just that great, and we're seeing acceleration, the acceleration of the amount of people coming through the door, the acceleration of the amount of people that's getting on fire, starting serving ministry. It's just, uh, it, it's quite overwhelming, but powerful, and it just is. that sense of, man, we're all on our toes type thing. So Yeah, it's, it's really exciting, and it is stirring among the people. I mean, so JJ and I, we book every single Sunday, and then like the 100 days of glory that we're in, that that Sunday where that comes to this like epic end, we're like, we're going to block this day off because <laughs> there is no way we we're going to miss, miss yeah. you know, the conclusion of 100 Days of Glory. I know we have to wrap up. I have two quick questions for you. Uh, one, you've come back off the sabbatical. The, the church is going in a phenomenal direction. Where is your uh, summarized vision of where we're going? Well, here's the thing. I, I feel like if you were to ask me the short term in terms of the practical stuff, obviously we're still, we need a building. and we need, we, sure. we need a place. But if you were to ask me from the spiritual standpoint in terms of where are we going as, as a, a church, I, I think we're going full bore into the, the harvest of the last day completing mission into all the world Sorry. in ways that we have never before preaching the gospel. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, you know, if it, if it needs to sound more catchy than that, I, I can't come up with the words to make something sound more catchy than the fact that the Lord told us to go in and, and, and reach the harvest through the, the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So, and and we'll do that with every way possible. Sure. And anything short of sin, we're gonna we're gonna take the gospel as much as we can. We'll we'll use media. We'll we'll use we'll use every medium that we can to to get the gospel message out. Because I truly believe that Jesus is coming soon. I do believe mm -hmm. that. You know, and and as I explained in a message here not long ago, why I feel like that we can say that like no other generation can ever say that not just because of time elapsed, but because of the prophetic, uh, the prophetic uh, place that we are uh, in, in God's calendar based off of what He's given us prophetically from the Word of God. I believe that we're there. So, um, so engaging in the mission, uh, I, I see that. I see us doing things that really help the body of Christ futuristically, not from a prideful, arrogant, just because we're a large church way, I think I think a genuine heart for the the ministry of all churches to be healthy and charged to the max with the fullness of the Spirit of God to be able to do what God has called them to do. Uh, I do believe that. I believe tooling the body in a practical way. You know, not every church has a creation department. Not everybody has a Naomi. But how could we come into helping them oh, yeah. have that? How not? You know, we just. 
we just hired a productions director. Not every church thinks about why you would need a productions director, but how can we help, help a church to understand how to produce ministry in a way where people live. They're not showing up at your front door first. They're going online to figure out who exactly. you are first and how can you be present where they're looking. Right. You know. You, you know what sticks out, and then I'll ask the last question. You, you said a couple weeks ago here, you said the message doesn't change, but the method must change. Oh, absolutely. So to be a part of being able to help other churches understand that, and understand how to do that well with excellence, that's awesome. Yeah, well, and, and methods do have to change, but here, here's why I think that, that now is the right time for the catalyst of change. Nobody will change their method until you have to change your method. Right. You know what I'm saying? The reason you keep any method long enough is that you either think that it works or you see some benefits of it. Sure. But when in the world which we live in now where the benefits are very, very minimal for, for the typical ways of doing things, um, I just think, <laughs> I just think it's, it's as obvious as the nose is on your face that something has to shift because the world has shifted whether we like it or not. Yeah, that's true. So last question. This is your mountaintop moment. Pastor Booker, you're on a mountain and you've got all kinds of people around you at the bottom. They're looking up to you. They're waiting for you to open your mouth and speak. Some of them are saved. Some of them are not saved. Some of them are church. Some of them are not church. And you have two minutes. What do you tell them? Here's what I would say to them. This, this is it. Go know who Jesus really is. Go and know Jesus. And here's why I would say that to the church people. Because sometimes what we learn about Him is actually not the real Jesus. It's a Jesus that the culture has mixed in some of its understanding. It is bad theology. It is bad understanding. It is bad patterns. He's better than you think He is. He's stronger than you think He is. He's more powerful than you think He is. He's more loving than you think He is. He's more forgiving than you think He is. It's, uh, to me, it's Paul's cry, Oh, that I may know Him. It's that, that just really knowing who Jesus is. And I would say to the lost world, you really need to know who Jesus is. I would say to the saved world, you really need to know who Jesus is. I would say to the mediocre person, you really need to know who Jesus is. He's more attractive than you think he is. He's cooler than you think he is. He's more relevant than you think he is. He's more hip than you think he is. He's, he's, he's way less religious than you think he is. He's stronger than you think he is. He's loving. He's altogether everything that you really need. I think that's the only thing that I would say to them is it would be like everything that you know about Jesus, forget it and learn him again. Mm. Forget everything that you know about him. Pick you a Bible up. Get in a place where you can seek his face and learn him again. That's good. I, I think, I, I don't know that I could give any anything at least that's my answer today <laughs> at least that's at least that's my answer today that's where my heart awesome. is today i think it's awesome i think that is what our world needs bottom line hands down no matter how you look at it whether it's people in church at the job in your family in the government find jesus 
Yeah. Well, people have a, you know, some people have a mindset, or a lot of people have a mindset of who Jesus is. Sure. If you have been told that, though, by the secular progressive, you think that he is mean, rigid, and just wants to send everybody to hell. Right. If you've been told that by the uh, uber grace people, you think that he has no standards. If you've been told that by, by you know, the, 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 um, the, the masculine people, you think that he's just way feminine. If you've been told that by the feminist or vice versa, sure. you, you just get the wrong impression of who he is. Mm-hmm. Open, like, like unlearn all of that. Unlearn everything that you think he is. Go back to the Word of God and rediscover really genuinely who he is. It'll blow your mind. It'll blow your life up to a good place. It'll, it'll blow your understanding away when you look at how Jesus handled religion, when you look at how He handled government, when you look at how He handled the poor, when you look at how He handled the rich, when you look at he, how He handled the despondent, how you, look, how you look that He handled the stranger, the person that's not His same ethnos, whatever. When you look at how He, he, he operated, He's way better than you ever thought He was. And I say, go, go know Him. It'll change your life. It'll change everything about your life. I promise you, if you know Jesus better, you'll be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better business owner. You'll be a better preacher. You'll be a better servant in the kingdom of God if you just know Him better. And, 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 and I'm talking about knowing Him at that intimate, personal level. Oh, that's awesome. And I think that your testimony today has demonstrated that. So with that being said, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us. Thank you for allowing us to even do this podcast. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's quite lengthy. We've spent a little bit of time together, but it's been amazing. I like sometimes I like reliving that story. Sometimes it's embarrassing to let people know that uh, no, it's good stuff. from from whence I came. Thank God for the mercy and the grace of God, right? Thank God for the mercy. (laughs) Well, thank you. Hope you have a good day. To our listeners, thanks for joining in, and we will see you soon. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60, verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.